0: not preaching today but um it is the third sunday uh so uh i'm gonna leave the microphone anyway and we're gonna measure our children anyway even though trevor's not here because that's what you do on the uh third sunday in a year where we're tracking growth so we need xavier and (laughs) james shoes off don't want to abandon the microphone. Andre, you're a parent, you do it. Hey, (laughs) James, um, I think perhaps I would prefer that your shoe not fly anywhere near my face or my guitar. Yeah? Yeah? Right, so uh, if if this is your first time experiencing the measurement of the children, you know, might start to guess that we are considering growth this year at Tupper. Uh, Tupper, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> City, <Year>. City View. <laughs> thus the, the word grow on the wall there and a growing knitting project under it. Uh, thus the children that we hope will grow this year uh, and have been a little bit growing. Uh, thus the grass that we've not touched for a month and is growing. Quite well. It's it's me. I didn't mow the lawn at all this year. It's me. It's not you. It's me. (laughs) Right? Next year, once it stops raining. So, uh, report on Xavier. Did Xavier grow? A A tiny bit. It's been like millimeters at a time. Yeah, the trouble is their, their hair c- kind of gets taller, especially if it's <laughs> dirty. Xavier needs a bath, and so maybe. And uh, I, I'll leave it to you to have deep thoughts in this moment about this, like, millimeters of growth over time and all these spiritual connections to growth that you would like to make about that. But in any case, can you thank James and uh, Xavier for being our, our people? Thank you. Uh, And today we get to hear from Jamie McDonald, who you might recognize. He's been here a few times. Yeah, thank you. you. Here's Jamie.
1: (laughs) Thank you, yeah. Um, Let me start by saying I consider it a privilege to come to your church and be with you. And deep in my heart, I am a church man. I, I love church. And the reason why I love it is because When it's good, people are coming together to be encouraged, to be helped, to be guided, to be corrected, to be redirected, and they leave saying, I'm so glad I went to church today. It was so good. And Lord knows for 167 other hours of the week, we get punched, pushed, dragged, scraped, kicked, whatever. But when we come to church, it's not meant to be that. It's meant to be a time of renewal and worship and infilling and life-building. So I hope that even the message today, you'll say, I'm so glad I came to church. Yeah, it was good. Uh, I don't know everybody, and some of you are familiar, but just to set context, um, there's a a thing in the Bible called the strange voice syndrome. And sometimes congregations get get it because Jesus talked about it in John 10. They don't listen to the voice of a stranger. And, and I always think I'm a stranger, so I need to set a context so at least I have a shot at people listening to me. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm Jamie McDonald, and um, to set it up, I've been a pastor for 35 years, and it was a calling that shaped my life, and I did it, and at 60, I retired, okay? Now, here's what I want you to do. This is called Dad Humor. Do you know what dad humor, that's usually bad jokes. Okay, so here's my shot at dad humor on a Sunday morning. So, you know, on your car out there, you've got maybe some Motomaster tires, or Michelin tires, or Goodyear tires. Well, for 35 years, I had my Goodyear tires on. Those were my Goodyear's. And then I stopped at 60, and I I retired. I got different tires on now. Get it? Okay. So for the last three years, uh, I've been doing a, a refugee ministry in Surrey. And some of you know that context as well. It was an opportunity. A group came to me and said, can you help us? And so I, I helped them. We, we bought an apartment building and filled it up with refugees and established a program. And so a 15-unit apartment building with two Canadian couples living in community and newcomers to Canada. And, and I say the word refugee sometimes has a big target on it now, and I know what can, shouldn't, does. I just say newcomers to Canada that need help live there in community, in their independent apartments, for 12 to 18 months, not forever. And we give them half price rent. I won't lie to you, it's half price. But at the end of 18 months, you've got to go, you've got to fly. So there's this real strong sense of how do we get them into job training, how do we get them into school, how do we get them connected. Because we're not doing people a favor by, by not. And, it's, and most, of the, most of the people I've worked with are anxious too, so it's not like we're doing anything pouring you know, water on over-soaked territory. And uh, finished that contract up a year ago. And so today, because I retired, remember, I got new tires on. I couldn't stop. Uh, the job I do, I actually have a, an opportunity to serve a senior society right over here in, in Vancouver, northeast Vancouver. It's called Beulah Gardens Homes. And uh, there's about 300 seniors, and I'm one of, the, one of the leaders there. And we help people in that, I'll say, the, the fourth quarter of life whatever that means, okay? And you have to be 60-plus to live with us. It's all geared to income. My heart is, and I know we live in a, a wonderful city, and, and we all want to own homes, but many people can't afford, and seniors are no different. And so the people we work with are often people that worked at White Spot, don't have a million-dollar RSP, you know, worked at Eaton's part-time raised kids, and they get to a stage in life where their CPP and their OAS, you know, pensions, are $2,000 a month. How do you live... In Vancouver on two thousand dollars a month, so our gear t- we, we're a, a not-for-profit and, and we we take thirty percent of your pension. And that's what we charge for a one-bedroom five uh, five hundred square foot apartment, and it's really you know if you need sexy it's not I mean it's it's harvest gold fridges it's you know it's it's carpet that's clean. Uh, If you need stainless steel and, you know, and track lighting, then probably you need to go down the street. We're providing safe, clean, affordable housing. And the bulk of the people we work with are people that don't have huge amounts of money. We actually triage and say, you know, in order to live here, we won't lie to you, we'll take every application, but we're trying to help the people that need it most. And if you can afford to live... In the market, then you really should. But there are people that can't, and not because they've been bad people or lazy people. But there are people who are come to the end of their journey and say, "Oh my goodness, I don't have," and and the option of moving to Winnipeg doesn't work for them, kind of thing. You know, oh, I mean that was that was harsh. I was just saying that. Then, so, <laughs> yeah, uh, Abbotsford. <laughs> well, even Abbotsford is expensive now. you, you know. I mean, yeah, where do you move to in the Lower Mainland? It, it's not cheap. Yeah, anywhere. So, so that's our heart, and, and that's my heart And that. So, so I come today, as I say, out of that context, and hopefully it doesn't unnerve you or, or make you feel distressed. So uh, do you want to do the slides? I would really appreciate it. Okay, thank you. First slide. I want to talk to you today about what I call the mark of a Christian. What identifies somebody as a Christian? And I got a little... If you have your Bibles, turn to John 13, 34, and 35 and put a finger there and take another finger and put it in 1 John 4, 7 to 12. So firstly go to John 13 and put a finger there and then put another finger over in 1 John chapter 4. And as you're doing that, I got a little quiz for you. Okay, so this is a quiz. This is for all of us, okay. Say... As I'm talking, somebody came to the door of the church, opened it, and walked in, okay? And they have a big turban on their head, and they have a big black flowing beard, and they walk in, and they sit down over here. Now, not judgment, just just assessment. What particular faith do you think that person might be from? big turban and a big beard, and if you want to get right down to it, they got a kerpon in their waistband. Sikh, <laughs> so probably, probably a Sikh background. Yeah, we'd say, yeah, that probably, I mean, not judgment, it's just like probably, because there's some Marx would think that, okay. so And I'm just saying, okay, so question number two. Um, the door opens, and a person comes through the door, and he's, he's his head's all shaven, and he's wearing pink, orange, saffron robes and sandals. And he, and he walks and he sits down over here. And you think, hmm, just awareness. What, what background do you think they might be from? Buddhists, perhaps Hare Krishna. You know, it's not judgment, it's just, oh, okay, I'm just kind of figuring things out. So here's another one. The door opens and two young men walk through the door. They're wearing nice white button-down shirts and they got a little badge on here. And they're really clean-cut and they're, they're really kind of blonde-haired and blue-eyed. And they sit down over here. What would you think their background would be? Mormons. Oh, yeah yeah, we're from the Mormons, okay, good things like that, yeah, you know, and it's just I say, okay, great things like that uh, i'll give you one last one it's Saturday morning, and you 're sitting there drinking your coffee, and the doorbell rings, and you go down to the doorbell, and there 's two individuals there, sometimes an older, sometimes a younger, and they're they're dressed, they've got a briefcase, and they've got some literature for you because they want to talk to you. Not that conservative party of candidate doing <laughs> <when> door knocking <laughs> 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 All right. could be good answer, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. chances are they'd say we're from the jehovah's witnesses and it's not judgment i'm just saying sometimes you can tell just by certain clues and so the, the the question i put up to us today is how would you recognize somebody who's a follower of jesus if they came through the door and i'm not judging i'm just trying to get a feel for it and I, I know i've asked this question people say well Maybe they're wearing a cross. And I said, yeah, maybe. Um, maybe they got a Bible under their arm. Yeah, maybe that could be the case. Um, maybe they've got a honk if you love Jesus bumper sticker in the back of their car kind of thing. Okay, maybe, and things like that. And we sometimes have these things, but I think there's something deeper that I want to press us to today, and that's found in John 13, 34, 35, is how do you know somebody is... And it's not judgment, it's just awareness, a real follower of Jesus. And Jesus is talking to his followers, he says in verse 34, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. If we love one another, people might kind of get a hunch that, are you a Christian? Because I see the way you treat each other. I see the way you respond to each other. A few months back, a story, a friend of mine is a pastor of a church here in the lower mainland. And he's a little younger than I, and so he has this feeling of like an older brother. And he said, Jamie, would you do me a favor? I said, sure. He said, would you come visit my church unannounced? And give me your opinion about how we're doing. And I said, okay, w- what's going on? I said, well, we're struggling. We're, we're not growing. We're shrinking. And people come and visit but don't stay. And, and I'm just trying to understand why that is the case. Would you kind of just give your opinion? And so I said, sure. So I picked a date. And a little bit cheeky, you know, they, what do they call those mystery shopper things are yeah. I decided to do it that way. So I showed up at the church about twenty minutes before the service and, and kinda of got out of my car and, and walked in and there was a greeter at the door and the greeter shook my hand, gave me a bullet and then talked to somebody else. Oh okay. And, and it was, this is a church of 60 people. It's not 600 people. So I'm like, okay, interesting. And I stood in the foyer. It was a different setup than this one. It had a bigger foyer. And I stood in the foyer for 20 minutes waiting for the service to start. And one person talked to me. And it's not like there's 6,000 people in this church. I'm, oh, I'm just interested in thing. And as I went to come in, I thought, I wonder if it, And it was a sanctuary that held 200 people. So it was way bigger than this one. And people were like little clumps of grass here, over there, over here, big spaces between them. And I'm thinking, hmm, interesting. And then I, I thought, well, would anybody invite me to sit with them? Nobody did. <laughs> okay. So I sat by myself through this whole service. And then let me give you some other things. The worship service, the worship was fantastic. I, I, like really talented people. So it was, hmm, interesting. And the the slides were right on. I thought, wow, okay, this is the audiovisual. The, you know, sometimes the techie is No, it was really good. Okay, and then he got up to preach, and he's a good preacher. He's a really good preacher. He's better than I am. Oh my goodness, (laughs) you know. And afterwards, we closed, and we went the next day to talk, and and he said, "So, what'd you think?" And and I said, "Man, your worship team is great." And he's like, "Yeah, we really like them." And and and, uh, I said, "And you're a good preacher." He says, "Well, thank you. I I work really hard." I said, "No, it was evident to me, and I really want to." I said, "So, so." how come we're kind of shrinking and not growing? And I said, I'm going to say something really harsh. And he's like, okay, hit me. I said, I'm not sure your people really love each other, and I'm pretty sure they don't love strangers. And he's like... And I said, it's not judgment, it's observation. And it's not that they hate each other. I think they've grown accustomed to each other become insensitive to each other, inattentive to each other. And it's not that they're negative and destructive. It's just they're passive and disconnected. And if I read the Scriptures, the power of Jesus is found when people love each other. And it's a hugely attractional piece. Because the truth is, as good as music is, there's somebody better down the road. Who does better music? Oh, And if you really want better music, turn on Q104.3 and get better music. And as good as preaching is, there's people, whether on TV, radio, podcasts, if you want really good verbal communication, there's always somebody better. But what is the irreplaceable, non-negotiable, frankly basic place for us as God's people is when we love each other. And what makes me sad sometimes is we just kind of get distracted or we kind of get inattentive, we kind of miss out on each other. And so he took it, and it was interesting. Um, We still text back and forth, and I gave him some tips on how can you incorporate that into your church, and here we are about eight, nine weeks later, and I still get texts from him saying, here's what we're doing, here's what we're doing. Here's Because it is not an an inessential tertiary, third level. It's primary. We're called to love each other. That's how people know Jesus is real. I want to do something this morning in the time we have, um, draw out for you four things about love, from God's love. And that's found in 1 John 4, 7. So if you have it, why don't you turn to 1 John 4, 7. And John the gospel is really recording Jesus' words. But 1 John is different. It's a letter that John wrote to the Christians, to the followers He's probably about 90 years old when he writes this. So he's old. And no disrespect to anybody here. That's old, okay? Uh, used to be 30 was old, then I turned 30. Then 40 was old, but then I turned 40. So trust me, when I get to 88, 90 won't be old anymore. But right now, 90 is old, okay? So if you're 90, you're old, kind of thing. You know? Bless you, kind of thing. Um, if you're in your middle 60s, you're young, okay? You're still young, all right? Yeah, good, there we go. Uh, John's about 90. And what I found is sometimes with some people, as we get older, we mellow out. We actually become a little more easygoing. Not all people. Sometimes they become a little more strict and a little more rigid, so it's a little bit of personality. But John was the kind of guy that as he got older, he became more mellow. And if you read 1 John, he simplifies things, just some big things. He talks about love, and he spends a lot of time in his book in his letter, saying, just love each other. Hey, don't stop loving. Hey, if you don't love, you're in trouble. And so that's a big theme. And that's really why I want to capture 1 John 4. And I want to share with you the first point, first slide, is four questions as we look at 1 John 4, 7 to 12. Where does love come from? Uh, he writes in 1 John 4, 7, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. If you are connected to God, you are expected to be a lover because God is love. And if you are a lover, I think you can go the other direction and say, if you're a lover, I think that comes from God. Well, I'm not a religious person. That's fine. But I think God's love is big enough that it's not just the people who recognize him. Our God is a God of love, and lovers are in some fingernail way still connected to God. Oh, I'm not religious. That's fine. But love comes from God. He's the author of love. He's the source of love. Uh, If you are a godly person, you will have some connection to love. I want to share a little tension with you and, and smile when you hear it. Um, I've often been surprised how people that are connected to God, or at least claim to be, miss out on love, and people that have no connection to God sometimes are very loving. And, and I'll share with you, I've been a pastor forever, and there's a things I mean, church services are one thing, and they can be interesting, but if you ever go to Church board meetings, you know like do you ever go to committee meetings do you ever go to business meetings of churches? do you ever go to town hall meetings of churches and the people that love jesus it 's amazing how sandpapery <laughs> abrasive, stressful unsatisfying they can be and I, I kind of smile I was a pastor and and my wife Barb is here, and I'd come home from board meetings and it would take me three hours to unwind because I'd just been in the mix master, kind of thing, you know. Or sometimes during the day, people would want to meet with the pastor and express to the pastor, and I'd come home looking like, you know, chopped coleslaw, kind of like, you know. um, but then the flip side is, part of being a pastor is, and, and maybe you've had a similar experience, people invite you into their lives in some very, very, Difficult times. A number of times a family has said, my dad's in palliative care. Or we're putting mom into hospice. Or our son's not going to make, and these are rich, and and you go into these places, palliative care, hospice societies, and you you journey with the person in the midst of it all, but I, I look around, and I met these wonderful caregiving people like, I, I mean, wonderful. Palliative care people that work there, I don't know where they get it from, but they are so loving. They really are. It's not a job for them. It's not like I get paid, tick, I'm off at four, sorry, you're not my client. They said this, and, and I remember one time, this person so impressed me that as I was leaving and I was a young pastor, I didn't know any better, I said to her, excuse me, She said, yes, he said, and I said this, are you a Christian? And she kind of looked at me and she says, oh, no, no, Reverend, Reverend, I'm not religious. I don't do religion, <laughs> you know. And I'm thinking, wow, because honestly, by the way you behave, I thought you were a Christian. Well, well, I thank you, Reverend, you know. But I mean that. The love was so rich, evident, authentic from this person. I thought you had to be a Christian. Uh, the mark of a Christian is they're connected with God and they love. It comes from God. Wow. Second question, what does love look like? And and we find that in verse 9 and verse 10. John says, this is how God showed his love among us. So you want to know what love looks like? God modeled it. God exampled it. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And and there's a lot of threads there, but what I drop on is that love isn't just an emotion. It's not just a feeling. It's actually an action that is taken on behalf of the person next to you, or across from you, or down from you. And we can say we love, but the truth is, the proof is, when we do love, or act love, And God sets up saying, I love you. And we say, oh, thanks, God. And he says, no, no, I loved you. I sent my son to die for you. And we say, well, gee, thanks, God. And it wasn't that we earned it or deserved it. Uh, Paul in Romans chapter 5 says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not that we were like the best or moving in the right direction or, gee, you qualify, they don't. It was when we didn't deserve it, aren't lovely, aren't even maybe lovable, God took the initiative to come and touch our lives. And when I think about love, I I think about how do I express to the person who maybe isn't lovely the love of God, who isn't necessarily lovable, how can they experience the love of God? Because If I'm connected with them, I'm a lover. This love is active. It's not deserved, although it certainly can be given out to people who are deserving. But you know what I'm saying is it's an action that goes to people that don't necessarily qualify for it. And I look around the room, and I'm sure City View is no different than the other churches. There are sometimes people that you don't agree with in this congregation. How do you love them? I don't agree with them. That's fine. How do you love them? I don't want to really? <laughs> By this shall all men know you're my disciples if you love one another. Oh, I hate it when you use scripture to direct me like that. Well, it's the scripture. you know. Uh, how about that person? Oh, I don't want to love them. They were mean to me. Really? Okay. Yeah, I, They've disqualified themselves. Really? Okay. So we earn love? The very issue is we don't. We give love. And God showed it to us that while we were unqualified for it, he loved us. There's a third question. Next week. Who should receive our love? And I'm looking at verse 11 here. It says, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And it's it's similar to the last one, but God loved us, we love one another. What we have experienced from God, we need to repeat. Um, and sometimes it's a challenge because for some people, they have Yet to understand, and I'm not saying I'm smarter, better, and because many of you are so afraid, but God is not a God of judgment. God is not a, job, a God of get in line or get out of line. Our God is a God of love who, yes, guides us, corrects us, directs us, because he loves us, but at the initial heartfelt place, he says, come here, kid, how you doing? Not very good okay, get over here. I haven't been very good. That's fine. I know about that. (laughs) How can you love me? Because I do. You're my kid. The love of God is very much that way. And as we have experienced his love, we can then turn to people around us and respond in a reciprocal way. But if you've never experienced it, it's hard. But the very thing you've experienced. So I'm going to give you, (laughs) when I was a Younger person, and I'm dating myself. Or some of you can nod your heads. So you know what I'm talking about. Do you remember the Gaithers? Do you remember that? Group? Some of you, okay. Some of you are old now. Okay, good. I appreciate it. I'm not the only buck in the room, but they, they penned a song, and and I'll hum it to you or sing it to you. But it captures what I want to say. Um, it goes like this: I am loved. I am loved. I can risk loving you, for the one who knows me best loves me most, I am loved, I am loved, I can risk loving you, for the one who knows me best, loves me most. When we think about it, by ourselves, as lovely as we are, are we that lovely to God? As lovable as we think we are, are we that lovable? The one who knows me best, who knows all the crud, who knows all the motives, who knows all of the behaviors, loves us most. Wow. And what he's saying to us here is, in the same way that God has loved us, could we love people? And I think, and I know I'm a, I'm a preacher, but I think, you know, in our world today, we have so polarized and found such distinct positions and become defensive of our positions and attackful to other positions that we have lost the ability to love. And it makes me sad because what a world to live in where we're protective, defensive, attackful rather than loving. The mark of a Christian is he or she has experienced the love of God and, and loves On a very practical level, and and Trevor's not here, but he will listen to the tape, okay? Uh, Sorry, Trevor. (laughs) It's important for a pastor to say to his people, I love you. It's important. I'm not, but it's important. It's not, it's just important. I remember um, I was pastoring a church, and um, and I, I would say that to the congregation. And one time, one of the sisters came to me one of the people in the congregation, here's what she said, Pastor, you used to say you loved us, but I haven't heard you say it in a while. Are you okay, Pastor? Yeah. Uh, You don't like that, but there's some truth in that kind of thing. People need to hear that they're loved by their pastor. But let me go a flip side is people need to do something loving for their pastor once in a while, too. He needs to be encouraged. He needs an offer to help. He needs to know that his labor is valued, not merely tolerated. Thank you, Pat. Pastors live, the fuel they live on is love as well. And between each other, we need to love. Uh, you know, if a, if a musician has played a song, and it's not your favorite song, can you say to them, Thank you today for leading us in worship. Um, is there somebody in the congregation that's doing something right? And they say, I'm just doing my job. Well, it's more than just doing your job. Who set up the coffee today? Who brought the snacks? Who did this? Who did that? Just doing their job. Well, you know what? They need to know that you're appreciating them for doing it. When we love each other, it's amazing. Uh, Point number four, what happens when we love each other? Verse 12, Um, John writes, no one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And I tried to pick an image there. It's the idea of a half-completed or three-quarter-completed building. There's still some work to be done. But if I read this verse, there's a couple things going on here. Uh, One of it is, When we love each other, people see God. He says nobody's ever seen God, but when you love each other, they draw some conclusions. They may not recognize it as God, but they're going to say, whoa, there's something different going on here. Um, There's a story. This is preacher humor, okay? So you can use this, and this guy's full of bad jokes. So one day in Sunday school, little Johnny's furiously drawing something, furiously drawing. And the Sunday school teacher says, Johnny, what are you drawing over there? And he says, "I'm I'm drawing God. And the son but nobody's ever seen God. He says, well, after I'm done, you know, they'll recognize him. No one can recognize God. I've got to work on my humor here. But but the truth is, when people see Christians loving each other, they recognize something going on. Now, they may not know it's God, but they're going to say, Whoa. Uh, case study. Uh, I come from a non-Christian. I'm not a bad. We had a great home. We were white Anglo-Saxon Protestants. So please don't feel like we were drug dealers and you know cocaine <laughs> snorters. <laughs> and I became a Christian. And I have a younger brother who's about 18 months younger than I. And one time I went out to a youth group meeting, and and it was a pool party, and it was a barbecue, and it was a youth group. And I brought him along, and. Some of you have brothers or maybe you have siblings. There's a little bit of rivalry. I mean, as much as we didn't always get along. And I remember going home from that youth group pool party barbecue, and um, he says to me, he says, so what's up with those people? And I'm like, what do you mean? And this is all youth group peers. And he says, well, it looked like they were really glad to see you. (laughs) It looked like they liked you kind of thing, you know. It looked like they were happy to be together kind of thing. And, and like, and I don't like you. <laughs> I'm not happy to be with you, so what's with that kind of thing? And he talks about it later on as being a huge impact on his life. He said he saw God or he felt God that he'd never seen it before. Because in his mind, God was, you know, rules or, pro, you know, like stat, data and proofs, but he experienced God. And that's what I'm saying is when we love each other, something happens. People begin to see or sense God like they never do. Um, there's something else, that when we love, he says in the latter part of the verse, His love is made complete in us. So, as much as the love of God comes, there's always room for growth, always room for more. Um, I, I love the. Uh, ha- um, what do you know when you, you walk by somebody's house and half the lawn is cut? And the lawnmower sitting there. You think, oh, there's a little more work to do here, isn't there? Yeah, they're not done yet kind of thing. Um, what do you know, and I'm, I'm picking on you guys here, if, if I see you knitting a sweater and you've got the torso done and you've got one sleeve done but there's nothing over here, I'm going to say, you're not done yet. You've got, you got more work to do. Yeah, I do. We're, uh, what do you know when you walk into a friend's house and it's, you're supposed to come for supper and they've chopped up all the vegetables, and maybe they've clipped all the preparations, and it's sitting there on the cutting board. And you look around, and you're not ready to eat yet, are you? No, we're not done yet. And, and I get that, that we need to be patient with each other. God is not finished with us. But the truth is, there's work to be done in us when we love each other, and it's filling out, completing what we need to do in order to be fully ready for him. And I believe that, that the purpose of this life is to get ready, us to get ready for heaven. And as long as it takes, that's what he's going to do. I remember years ago, I was pastor, and uh, I'll, I'll say one of the couples, their mom was dying. They were, she would have been in her 90s. And um, anybody here Dutch? Anybody Dutch people? Uh, I'm not Dutch, I'm Scottish, but I want to say that Dutch people can be so stubborn. I mean, <laughs> when they love you, it's great. When they don't love you, look out kind of thing. So you've got to give them the right direction. And, and Mrs. So-and-so was Dutch. And she'd been in the church, and she was one crusty, feisty lady. I mean, good worker, but, but just, man, she was like, well. Oh. And they asked me to go visit her, and she was in the care home. And they said, we don't think she's going to last long, Pastor. Well, it turned out that she, she went a year. I mean, she wasn't going to die. She was mad at God. <laughs> I got things to do and how dare you tell me that I'm done kind of thing. So she was just mad at God. So i would come every Thursday afternoon and spend a half hour with this person. And it was really gentle. It wasn't corrective. It wasn't, you know, attackful. It was just pastor coming to visit and sing a hymn with her and read some scripture. And it was amazing over the next six, eight months how she began to soften and, and, and just become more accepting that it's time to go to heaven. And uh, I remember in her funeral service bringing up the idea that, you know, that, that that we die when we're supposed to because God thinks we're ready to come to heaven. And that's why some of us don't die, because we're not ready yet. Uh, having said that, don't delay getting ready kind of thing. And and it, it reminded me there's a, a Christmas hymn that we sing, Away in a Manger, No Crib for a Bed, uh, Little Lord Jesus, Lay Down His Sweet Head. And one of the verses says, Be near me, Lord Jesus, I beg thee to stay close by me forever. Bless all the dear children in thy tender care and fit us for heaven to live with thee there. And I think part of getting ready to go to heaven is learning to love each other. It's important. And so God's not done yet. He's got work. In us, yet to be done. It's not completed. And so my reminder to City View Church is love one another. It's the mark of a Christian. It's who we are. Let's pray. God, thank you that you love us. And it's the starting point. It's everything. And having experienced your love, we just want to applaud you and thank you because we confess afresh every day we don't deserve it. We accept it and we rejoice in it. And we revel in it, but O Lord, thank you for your grace and your mercy to us. And help us to imitate you as best we can for your glory's sake. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.